Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. For more information about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, visit us at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening his word. Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Darren Smith. I'm a non-staff elder, a member of the preaching and teaching team, and we're really uh, glad to have you here today. Um, before we get started, would you uh, go to God and word of prayer with me? Father, we come to you today, um, and we, we bow before you. We, um, we have some hard uh, truths about ourselves to look at today. I pray that um, you would soften our hearts to hear them. I pray that you would season the words that I say, that they would be the words that you would have said, that we would hear them rightly, and that our hearts would be uh, turned to you in repentance. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we need you, and it's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Well, um, as you saw from the, the bumper video, we are in the middle of a sermon series uh, on the book of Genesis. <clears throat> and we've entitled that sermon series, Where Are You? And as we've looked in the past, the book of Genesis is not just a bunch of uh, cool Bible stories that are strung together with moral lessons that you and I can read, place ourselves in the middle as the heroes, and then go out and try to live them themselves. You see, because if it were that, then the Bible would be about you. And the Bible is not about you, and the Bible is not about me. But rather, the way to read the book of Genesis is as a poem of praise. <clears throat> it is an introduction to God. So when this was delivered to the children of Israel, it was an introduction to him and the very character of our God. And it introduces us to some tremendous and great themes. It introduces us to creation, to fall, to redemption, and to restoration. And today we are going to examine the story of Cain and Abel. And just like God asked Adam and Eve in the garden, where are you? He's going to ask a very similar question. He's going to ask this question, where is your brother? Where is your brother? And that will serve as the title for our sermon today. You know, I thought um, growing up that I knew what sibling rivalry was. I had a sister who's a little bit older, um, but I had no idea until uh, the Lord blessed me and Audrey with three boys. Uh, they are two years apart, so we have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a five-year-old. And um, they are um, an example of sibling rivalry every single day, right? And so I like to say at night, uh, we, we sometimes... Um, have what's uh, kind of a combination of a Dr. Phil episode, working through sibling issues, and WWE, right? So, it, and it goes back and forth with emotions and all these things. And what's, what's so interesting about them, you know, as a parent, you love them the same, but you love them different because they are different. But they are keenly aware of punishments and rewards based on their brother. Right, So if, if you're getting onto one, you're taking away games or television or you're punishing them, or if you're rewarding them, they're always watching each other to say, well, that's not fair, or that is fair. And, and it, honestly, it's one of the exhausting things about being a father is just that, that desire to have equity. 
But I want to tell you this today, it, it convicts me. Um, it, it convicts you when you see these things in your kids and then you realize that you do the exact same thing. You see, I think that the Lord has been working on me for a few years now, um, per- particularly in the last couple of years, and, and, and raising uh, my attention to a prevailing sin in my life. And that is that <clears throat> somewhere along the line, I get into this, this habit of a broken worship with God. So, so God never leaves me, but sometimes I'll frankly walk away from him sometimes, right, in the way that I worship him and, and in the sincerity of my heart. And that causes this dryness and it causes this feeling of brokenness. And, and so then I walk away and you know what, I, I start to get resentful and I get angry. I actually kind of get angry at God because I feel like I've done everything, right? I've done everything, but God, yet I feel distance from him and maybe I'm not getting everything I want. And so you know what I do? Just like, my, just like my boys, I'll start to turn my attention to other people, right? Because it can't be my fault. It can't be my problem, right? It can't be my issue that I'm trying to work through. And so then I'll look at other people and I'll get jealous of them. That's really what it is. It's jealousy. Um, if you don't think that that's true, think about how you feel when you scroll through Instagram, right? There's this natural sense that comes up of like, well, I mean, I'm happy for them, but how's all that working out in their lives? Why, Right? And what that leads you to is then you, you malign somebody and then you slander them, and really that's hatred. And, and, and even our Lord and Savior tells us that when we get to that point, that's murder. You're murdering people in your heart because of that. Now, that sounds dramatic. Right? I understand that, but that's exactly what it is. And I want you today to walk on this journey with me. I want you to see the story of Cain and Abel And I'm going to ask you today to see yourself as Cain. I think a lot of times we don't do that, but I want you to see yourself as Cain. You see, our sin makes us see our relationship with God through the lens of other people. You are Cain, and I am Cain. And so as we do that, let's turn to Genesis, the fourth chapter. We're going to read the first 16 verses and see what the Lord has for us. So Cain and Abel, Genesis 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. 
You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. What a sad story. What a sad story about humanity, but a beautiful story about God's grace. Here we have um, what, what some would consider the very first humans. Now, obviously, Adam and Eve were the first humans, but they were created. These are the first humans that went through the truly human experience of being born and growing up and, and maturing. And it doesn't take very long for mankind, for humanity, to turn to murder. And so when God comes to Cain and he says, where is your brother? That is a deep, deep question. Just like he asked Adam and Eve, where are you? He's, he doesn't need to know the location of, of his brother. He knows exactly where he is. What he's really asking is, where are you? And come to me in repentance. You see, this is a story about our relationship with God, our brokenness, and finally, God's grace. And so as we look at this, there's three things that I want to look at today. Three simple things. Number one, worship. So this idea of worshiping God and what that means in Cain and Abel's life, what it means to us. Number two, this idea of murder. <laughs> it's the, the first uh, CSI, Garden of Eden, right? It's the first murder. So um, what does that all entail? And then the third thing is this idea of God's grace. And that's the that's the prevailing story of Genesis, and indeed, the entire word of God is, is God's grace. So, let's jump right in and look at this idea of, of worship. So, in the course of time, Cain and Abel brought forth worship to the Lord. Now, I want, I want to point something out here. This doesn't appear to be a, a command, right? So, it's not like God came from from heaven, and he boomed down on him, and he said, you're going to do these certain things, and I want you to worship me. This is, this is a different kind of worship, and it's, it's also not an atonement. So um, when I was growing up, I always equated this to what we're going to get later on um, with the atonement offerings, right? So when there's the, uh, the exodus, there's a, a, a lamb that's killed and the blood is shed that points to Christ, that's an atonement offering. They would offer atonement offerings on the altar, um, but that's not what we're talking about here. This was a, a free will offering. It was just a, a commitment to God. It was worship to him. It was to show gratitude and it, it's also not grain versus livestock. I thought that too growing up. I thought, well, it's pretty clear, right? God likes a blood sacrifice, not a grain sacrifice. That's not, that's not what's happening either. God isn't requiring Cain to give something that he doesn't have here. No, in fact, it's a symbol. So both of them brought a symbol of what they had. And they're showing to God that everything that they have belongs to God. And so the Bible... Um, in its wisdom, the Holy Spirit, he 
um, he didn't give us the details, exactly what was wrong with Cain and exactly what was right with Abel. Um, and I think that that's, that's beautiful because it allows you and it allows me to enter the story. See, if he had given all those details, we might have been able to step back and go, well, at least I'm not like Cain in that way. But no, it's open-ended because I think the lesson here is that this worship and the reason that it was not accepted is because it was an issue of faith and of heart. Abel came to the Lord out of faith. His heart was turned to God, and yet Cain held that back. Cain held that back. We know that because of Hebrews 11, verse 4. I love when the Bible explains the Bible. So the Bible's going to tell us exactly what's happening here. 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. You see, there's a difference, right? It's not that what Cain did in his certain actions was wrong. It was that his heart wasn't there. And here's the point for Cain and Abel and for you and me today. Unless we back up our words and unless we back up all these acts of worship that we do with our heart, it's nothing more than bribery. Don't you see what Cain is doing here? Cain is just checking a box He's coming to the Lord and he's saying, oh, I'll do, I'll do these things. I'll pay homage to you. And yet his heart was far from him. And, and the, the scriptures are full of this over and over and over again. Jesus would go to the Pharisees and he would talk about these whitewashed uh, tombs. <laughs> he would say, on the outside, you look good, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And don't you see that it's always been about your heart God will not be bribed. You can't bring anything to him to impress him. You don't do certain things and then get other things. You know, there's a, there's a, a prevailing theology in our world today about health and wellness. And let me tell you, it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot bribe the maker of the universe. It's about your heart. And so Cain gets mad. He gets mad. He throws a, a temper tantrum because um, he's angry at the Lord because um, this half-hearted worship that he's engaged in is about him. You see, when worship is about you, then all of a sudden you feel that God and people owe you. I can't tell you how many times I go around in, in the world just acting like I'm the center of the universe, right? Have you ever heard that expression, like it's his world, we're all just living in it? How many times do we live that out in our lives over and over and over again? A test for your faith and for my faith is when you don't get your way. Now, I'm not talking about um, things like, you know, terminal illness and, and major things that happen in your life. That certainly is a test of faith. Uh, what I'm talking about is when someone cuts you off in traffic. When, when you perceive slights from people, when, when um, you don't get that promotion that you thought that you should get, when someone else is hired and, and they make more money than you and they do less, and you know it, you just know it, right? I know what's happening here. You see, in all those situations, I think that sometimes we're mad at God. We're mad. Because worshipers in those type of situations will ask why, and they'll ask what God is teaching us, but bribers 
will get angry. You'll get mad because what you're actually doing is you're employing the God of heaven. He works for you. And what do you do when you've given payment and you don't receive in kind? You get mad. And the other thing about all this is that we don't want to hear the truth. So Cain has this in his heart. Before he ever murders Abel, God comes to him and he says, what are you doing, man? Like, honestly, like, who do you think you are? And, and he confronts him with it and he gives him a chance, but he doesn't want to hear it. The last thing you want to do when you're consumed with yourself is hear somebody say, you're pretty full of yourself. That will make you even more angry. And then all of a sudden you start to act as a victim. Now hear me. There are true victims in this world. There, there are people that through nothing they have done themselves have been victims. Set those folks off to the side. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the story that we tell ourselves about victimhood, that, that people are out to get me. And we, so we start to look at others. But you know, the truth is, you're mostly angry because of yourself. You're angry because of yourself. You're angry because your worship with God has been disrupted by decisions that you make. And I will say to you that most of the things that happen in our lives that, um, that we think we're victims of are because we have done something ourselves. It's our own doing. And we have got to own that. That is part of understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. So moving quickly here, God says, sin is crouching at your door. He tells him, just do the right thing. It's an interesting conversation, isn't it? I wish I had more time to get into all the nuances of it. But God's just talking to him. He said, hey, hey, Cain, just do the right thing. But if you don't, sin is, is crouching at the door. Martin Luther once said that sin is, is essentially man curved in upon himself. So you're, you're consumed with yourself. You're looking at yourself. And in the Bible here, God literally says to Cain that sin is hiding in your heart. It's crouching. It's using uh, the, the analogy here of a large cat who's hunting its prey. You know, if you see those large cats um, on the Serengeti or wherever, right, they, they crouch down, they camouflage themselves, they hide themselves, they look small, but they are ready to pounce. And that is what sin is in our lives. This little seed of broken worship, discontent, anger, Looking at other people is, a, is, a, is like a, a lion that is stalking its prey, and it always looks smaller in your own life. Sin always looks smaller in your life than it does in other people's lives, doesn't it? Isn't that funny how that works? We judge other people by their actions, but ourselves by our intentions sometimes. It always looks a little bit smaller, and what God is telling him here is it's a beast. It is an ordinary beast in your life. I can't stress to you how important it is that we grasp that ordinary good people can do terrible, terrible things. You can do terrible things that you never imagined you would do. And I, I say this, I, I, you know, I always hate when people use Nazis and stuff as examples, <laughs> but I'm going to use it. You know, there, there, there were people um, in the 1930s in Germany, that if you could have shown them what would have ended up happening, they never would have imagined it. But over time, they were conditioned to accept it and agree with it. And you know, really, the only people that stood up in those moments, mostly, uh, were obviously those being oppressed, but also Christians. Christians did as well. 
because they understood the gospel. But if you don't understand that we, you, me, in, in Coppell, Louisville, Argyle, we can, we can do terrible, horrible things. We can be a part of, of all those horrible things. We don't understand it. You see, fake worship leads to anger and jealousy and slander and hate and murder. Sin is crouching at our door. And the point here is God doesn't want this fake worship. Um, God, God is here in Genesis, and he's setting the parameters of how this is going to go. And he's teaching us this lesson um, that, that worship has to be from the heart. This is taught later to us in Romans 12, verse 1. The Apostle Paul wrote, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You are to place your life on an altar for God as a living sacrifice. And I heard somebody say one time, the problem with the living sacrifice is that they can crawl off the altar. And that's me so many times. But don't you see that that's the true worship of God? I have to move quickly here. Number two, murder. This, this fake worship breaks this relationship with God. It's broken. And so where does this lead, Cain? God told him it's crouching at your door but it goes deeper. And so in verse eight, the Bible says that Cain spoke to Abel. And I don't know, oh man, I, if you could be a fly on the wall, right? What in the world did they talk about? Did Cain go after Abel? Did Abel just say, well, hey, do what God told you to do? I, I, I don't have any idea. But, but Cain goes to Abel and he speaks to him. And instead of dealing with the sin in his life, he lures him out into the field don't you see that sin is crouching? This is what God's talking about. If you don't deal with this in your heart, then it's going to have dire consequences. And when you refuse to deal with it, then what do you do? The only thing that you can do is then justify yourself. That's the only other thing you can do. If you don't want to deal with sin, you have to prove that you're not wrong. So he's with Abel, and that sin pounces. You see, if your problem is with God, you can repent. But if your problem is with Abel, the only thing you can do is murder him. Now, in our world, you know, we have repercussions from that, and so we maybe stop at hate. But again, uh, theologically, that's the exact same thing as murder. And God was right. There is a beast in all of us. And so he murders him. God comes to him, and they have this other... Uh, really awkward conversation. And God says, where is your brother? Again, this is a rhetorical question. He knows exactly where he is. And he's calling Cain to repentance. You know, we'll do this sometimes with our kids, won't we? We'll be like, hey, who broke the TV? Right? We know who did it. Uh, we have an idea of who did it. Um, Remember in, in elementary school where somebody would steal something and they'd turn out the lights and they're like, hey, nobody look, and you just put it back, those type of things. We're giving people a chance, and God is giving Cain a chance here. Where is your brother? Just repent. There's still hope. There's still hope here if you would just repent. But Cain is devoured. At this point, he's devoured. That sin that was crouching has pounced. It's unleashed its power on his heart. And he turns around and he basically says to the living God, what am I, his babysitter? What, what, what am I? 
Don't you see the irony here? It was Cain who was so focused on his brother and what he was doing. And now after he's murdered him, God's asking him, where's your brother? And Cain's like, I don't know. Why should I be looking at what my brother's doing? Right? The irony here is so heavy. And of course, the answer to the question, am I, my, am I his babysitter, is yes, you are. You are your brother's keeper. You are the brother's keeper. 1 John 3, verse 11 says, we have a higher standard. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Hear that? From the beginning, we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Again, the Bible is explaining the Bible. God wants repentance. It kills sin. If you repent, it kills sin in your life and removes you from the center of your own little universe. So quickly here, then we have this punishment of Cain. God hears the cries of the oppressed. God has always heard the cries of the oppressed. And there's this blood that's spilt in the ground. And this blood cries out from the ground and it requires justice. And <clears throat> we don't have time to go into this a whole lot, but I want you to notice how everything is connected in this story. Um, Genesis is awesome. It's, a, it's beautiful. And, and, and it's so um, beautiful how everything is tied together. But it's connected because the blood is spilt in the ground. And so then what is the punishment? The punishment is now that the ground has blood and is crying for justice, the ground will punish you. It will fight you. He says, yeah, you're not going to get the strength of the ground anymore. That indicates to me that, that farming maybe wasn't necessarily easy, but it was a lot easier, right? Maybe it was easy, but it, it brought forth bountiful harvests. And now look at those, um, those folks who we know and love who are, are farmers and they tend the earth and how tough it is, Right? how hard it is. Not only that, but he's cast out of human society and he's made to wonder. It just intensifies the curse. Do you see that once, once sin starts, it becomes a snowball going downhill that you can't stop. This curse intensifies. And so he's made a drifter and a vagrant. And so another analogy here is that unrepentant sin will put you on a life on the run. You'll be running away your whole life. You'll be running away from God. You'll be running away from others. You'll run away from yourself, and you'll never find what you're looking for. When we walk away from God and we ignore our sin, we focus on others. The last part of the sermon is grace, and uh, maybe you're like me and you need a breather when we get to this point. Um, thank goodness for the third point, right? That's the grace of God. Despite all of this, this terrible thing that has happened, there is grace because God has a plan and that plan must continue. God made a promise in the Garden of Eden that he was going to bring Jesus Christ and this is one of those steps that will continue that. After this, Cain comes to God and he says, um, this punishment is greater than I can, can bear. And we don't know, uh, you know, here, it feels like this is more of remorse than repentance. In other words, I'm really sorry this is happening to me. I, I don't know that. We don't know what exactly everything in his heart, but he at least comes to the Lord and he says, I can't, I can't do this. And he's not just talking emotionally. 
He knows that a life of wandering will physically kill him. So think about this. He is a man who farms, and now he's going to wander. Well, you can't tend crops if you're wandering, and he knows that. His entire identity has now changed, and he's been thrown out of what he knows. And furthermore, in the Old Testament, when, when you talk about forgiving sin, it means that you carry it, right? You put it on your back. So if you forgive someone's sin, you carry the sin for them. There's some, some beautiful things about that, right? So when God continues to forgive the children of Israel, he's carrying their sin. And so what Cain is saying here is, I can't get forgiveness for this sin, And this is the condition of the fallen man, right? This is where you are, and this is where I am, and this is exactly how we are like Cain. We cannot receive forgiveness without a miracle. That's it. Forgiveness is miraculous. It is God breaking through and giving us something that we could never accomplish ourselves. And so God puts this mark on Cain, and this is one of those things that people like to argue about. Um, you know, like, who did Cain marry? Well, okay, I don't know, right? Um, not the point of the story. The mark of Cain, what did it look like? I don't know. That's not the point of the story. You're told everything that you need to know. What we do know is that God's word creates this preserving grace over Cain. Despite everything, everything that he's done, God still loves Cain. He's not done with Cain and his story and his line. In fact, if you carry this story on out, they go on to be a successful group of people because God is continuing his promise to mankind. He still cares. He will keep you from getting what you deserve and he'll give you what you don't deserve. And so Cain goes east of Eden to the land of Nod. and He's exiled from the ground The grace is given to him in place of strict justice. He was protected. What I want to strike with us today is that in the same way, Jesus carries our burden, right? It's as if we're coming to God and we're saying, "We, we have done all these horrible things in our lives and we can't carry it. We can't be forgiven from it. And we bring it And Jesus is the mark of Cain in our lives. Hebrews 12, verse 22 says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of God. Of Abel. You see, Jesus is the ultimate Abel. That's because when Abel's blood was spilt, it cried out for justice. It demanded punishment for Cain. When Jesus' blood was spilt, it cries out and it says, Father, I have paid for it all. I have forgiven them, and therefore it would be unjust to punish them again. That is the mark of Cain in our lives, and praise God for that. And so I just want to end um, this morning and ask you this question. Um, Where are you? Where is your brother? Um, Is God uh, working on you and in your heart? Are there things in which you need to repent? Are you you, um, engaged in this great bribery relationship with God? 
And is that leading you down a path where there's sin that's crouching? Um, a great litmus test is how do you think about other people? How do you see other people in success and, and joys and blessings in their life? How do, you, how do you react to that? And I would say if it's out of jealousy or um, contempt, um, that's a pretty good test that perhaps your relationship with God is broken. But praise God that we bear the mark of Cain, God's promise and a sign of grace. And God is calling us to repentance today. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, we come to you um, and, and we just um, humble ourselves as we look at this, this passage in the scripture um, we are convicted of, of these sins in our lives and, and the fact that um, we so many times, because of ourselves, take steps away from you. And we thank you that, that you are always faithful to us, that it, it, even in, in despite all those times, you come to us and gently ask, where are you? That you give us opportunity and time to repent and that your Holy Spirit sanctifies us and changes us. And we pray for that conviction today. Lord, sometimes our worship to you is dry and distant. Um, it's about us, and we confess that. We pray that you would give us a heart of worship. Lord, sometimes we slander each other. We, we, we begin to be jealous and hate each other, and um, I pray in my life and in all of our lives, you would help us to see that. You would convict us from that, that, that we would be people um, who love one another, that we lift each other up that we are for each other. And God, thank you for that grace. Um, we don't even know what to say about that. We don't deserve it, but we sure need it. It's everything to us. Jesus is our hero. We are nothing without him. And we, we, we're so thankful that we bear uh, the mark of Cain through Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help us repent today? Give us your spirit change our hearts. And it's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.